Well, welcome back to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. We are in episode four, still a pretty new thing here, and we're really excited to dive in. I'm sitting here with Paul Hugobar, our lead minister at Grace Chapel. My name is Ben Patterson, and I am our assistant youth minister and several other roles in Grace Chapel. Our utility player. Yes, utility player. Utility player. Yes, sir. No doubt about it, and a good one. (laughs) So, If you're new with us, we're so excited that you joined us today. Uh, And today, we're actually going to be wrapping up this conversation that we've been in for the month. Mm -hmm. And this podcast, we're connected to our sermon series here. And Paul's been preaching a series called A Better Story. A Better Story. So we are talking about part four. If you're interested in that, I would encourage you, check out our Grace Chapel feed. You can listen to our sermons, check out the messages on that. And if you're new, please go back, listen to those messages. You're picking up in part four of a (laughs) four-part story. That's right. And it's going to be good. I'm excited. Yep. So you wrapped up this series, A Better Mm -hmm. Story, and you made an effort to kind of bring everything together that we've been talking about this month. We've talked about this idea of humanism, of post-modernity, of secularism, being Mm post-Christian, all of this stuff. Can you kind of recap and remind us why this is important in our time? Yeah, first first I'll say definitely it was an effort to bring all of this together. I mean, they they are, these are all... (laughs) Uh, interconnected concepts, I mean, almost interwoven in a sense, but it's so much material that bringing it together uh, definitely is quite an effort. But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, as we've talked about these concepts and just a real fast recap, a refresher, um, or if somebody is just jumping in for the episode today, just so that you'll understand what we're talking about. Uh, When we say secular humanism, again, what we're talking about is this belief that humanity, in a sense, is capable of governing itself without any outside influence. In other words, we don't need need God telling us Mm -hmm. what morality looks like. We're capable of uh, determining, defining our own morality. Um, And then also, um, you know, we're able to fulfill, we're able to kind of find self-fulfillment, in Mm -hmm. other words. So meaning, purpose, value, we can also determine what that looks like. That's really what secular humanism is. And so then when you come to postmodernity, you see that those things are just connected. Again, just Mm -hmm. totally inextricably connected uh, because the the three kind of main pillars of postmodern thought are that you and I, we define our own truth. Um, we're able to make or create our own meaning in life. And, and th- th- above all else, what matters in life is that you're happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then out of that as well, you can see how those, those ideas have influenced um, culture over the last number of years. And of course, we as Christians who live in culture, those ideas have influenced us to where more and more people have been. We talked about deconversion. I think that was episode two. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talked about deconversion and what that looks like in deconstruction as well, which is, you know, sometimes leads all the way to deconversion and sometimes doesn't. Uh, But we talked about those ideas, you know, certainly when people deconvert, the more people deconvert, the more it has changed the dynamic of culture to where now we have to say that we actually do live in a post-Christian culture. Yeah. Where the memory of a lot of the things that are truly good about the Christian faith and the culture that comes with that, the memory is still there but it's disconnected from the source in a sense. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the source anymore. Um, You know, we don't want faith in God, but we do want a lot of the good things, the morality that does come out of Christian faith. And so, um, you know, again, I I talked about the need to understand the the story that the culture around us is telling for for two reasons. And we've already, again, we've already touched on those just a little bit here this morning, even just talking around it, talking about it, that one, we need to understand uh, the people that we are trying to reach and disciple 
So, so we've got to understand the people that we're trying to reach and disciple. Just like a missionary going into a foreign country where people speak a different language and value different things, we're now walking into, as every time we walk into culture around us, post-Christian culture, we're engaging people who speak a different language and value different things. Bottom line, some of the same values for certain, but definitely a lot of, a lot of different priorities and a different way of arriving at those values, at least we can say. And then beyond that, we've got to understand the effect that the culture around us has upon us. We've got to understand that because otherwise we're going to be influenced and we're not even going to be aware that we're being influenced. Back to the David Foster Wallace quote uh, from the first, the first episode uh, and the first week in this series, um, we will be in it so deep that we don't even realize the effect that the culture is having upon us. Mm-hmm. So those, those are two important reasons why we mm-hmm. need to understand uh, the story that the culture around us is telling. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's helpful. That's a helpful way to dive into this. So. You shared some of the impacts of the flow of culture on Christian culture, especially mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a lot of younger generations and my generation, yeah. millennials and Gen Z, younger. So can you share here on the podcast and maybe kind of flesh out some of those implications of how you see that affecting younger generations? Yeah, so so if you, if you take all that we have been discussing this month um, and you start to ask yourself, well, what would be some of the logical implications of really my generation and even the boomer generation starting to embrace these ideas of postmodernism? Um, you know, we touched on it a little bit last week during the podcast, you know, when we said uh, really somewhere around the 1950s, we start to see that we in this country reached the peak of our score on the happiness index and that we've mm-hmm. been in steady decline mm-hmm. since then. And so, you know, that's about the time that things really start to shift in thinking. It, it was before that time as well, but, but really when it starts to culminate and come together, then you've got the events of the Vietnam War and then the sexual revolution and all these things. And you would think certainly, wouldn't you, during uh, the sexual revolution where, you know, everybody's talking about peace, joy, love, happiness, uh, you know, flowers in her hair, flowers everywhere kind of you know, that, that, that would have raised our score on the happiness index, but during the 60s, we're, we're you know, nosediving in a sense. And so um, you would think um, that, that, that maybe things would have gone differently, but in reality, um, what has happened is, is we keep becoming more unhappy, even though in many ways life ought to be better. So take that, the, the, the system of thought that we embraced in postmodernism Okay, again, boomer generation, my generation, uh, Gen X, that we then passed on and really taught to the millennial generations. Uh, the millennial generation and then, of course, Gen, Gen Z byproduct, although it's really interesting and we don't have time to, to dig in this too deeply, but Gen Z is really starting to push back upon many of the assumptions of postmodernism. Hmm. Again, I'd say Gen X really embraced and taught those values to the millennial generation. The millennial generation accepted a lot of that just as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, Gen Z is now starting to push back on it. But anyway, so if we, if we were to look at that and say, okay, what, what would happen? Uh, what would happen if people really believed that, you know, they could make their own truth, define their own meaning and purpose in life, and that nothing mattered more in life than happiness. Well, what, what would happen? You know, what, what, would, what would come out of that? And especially now we're talking about that as it relates to um, Christian millennials. Well, Barna has done some research. Uh, we're gonna look at that in just a minute. Uh, the Pew Research Center has done yeah. some research. We're gonna look at that in a minute. And again, these are observations and I appreciate Ben, even the way that you have been so steadfast and <clears throat> pointing back to the fact that we need to make sure that we're not, uh, 
it, it doesn't look like we're just getting down on the younger generations, which mm -hmm. that's often what it looks like when mm -hmm. older folks talk about the younger generations, and I'm now one of those older folks, right? Um, so when I, as a Gen Xer, talk about the millennials or, the Gen, or Gen Z, um, especially when we're dealing with research, now there, there may be fair criticisms of my generation, the boomers, the millennials, Gen Z, there may be fair criticisms, but when we're talking about research, we're just talking about observations that have been made. Is that, yeah. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think that is fair. That's good. Okay, so, um, so here, here's some of that research. Uh, Barna 2019, um, and there's a big study where this is the lead of the study. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm just going to read it to mm -hmm. you. Is nearly half of American millennials who consider themselves Christians believe it's wrong to share their faith in Jesus. Now, again, yeah. so as we've gone through this series, we've gone through progression, uh, you know, we, we were, this past weekend, uh, we landed on, you know, share a better story. We're gonna be talking about that over the next few minutes. Um, but this, uh, I think this study in particular actually comes right to the heart of what we're gonna be talking about today, that we are called to share our faith in Jesus because we yeah. have a better story, but at the heart of that, we have to understand that the, the millennial generation, and even some younger than that, actually believe that it is wrong to share their faith mm -hmm. in Jesus. Now, I remember when that, that study, uh, when that study was first released, I mean, I remember having some folks who were either uh, Gen X or, you know, either being on the phone line with, or over Zoom conversations with some, uh, some folks who were boomers or here at the church talking with some folks who were boomers. And that was something that people just, could not get their mind around. How could you possibly believe? And I think Kinnaman, even in a conversation, puts uh, the word unethical on it. David yeah. Kinnaman, who works with Barna, yeah. talks about that there are millennials who actually believe it's unethical to share their faith. It is not an ethical thing to do to share their faith with somebody else. Um, and we might look at that, That's and in fact, I, I would say I was surprised by that at first. I think it's interesting when you say that as someone who's more connected to that generation, yeah. that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, I see yeah. how that conclusion does, mm -hmm. how we do come to that conclusion. And I think a lot of it is what you've been talking about of those conclusions of culture at large, of that we each have our own truth, our own yes. value, our own meaning, our own purpose. Exactly I think right. that does distinctly connect to it. And yes. I do think there's a time, too, that there has been a reaction to maybe a very poor version yeah, of sharing faith, where millennials at times have reacted against that to where they don't want to be associated with that form of sharing the faith that is, that does maybe push things that aren't Christian yeah. on other people. Yep. And there have been abuses of that, but then at times we've then tipped the pendulum so far in the yeah. other direction to say, okay, so rather than going back and embracing the Jesus way, then... Yep let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, let's just stop throw, showing, sharing faith altogether. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I've seen some destructive fruit of that, so we're not gonna do anything. And I think that's been, I think, the attitude a lot of times in my generation. Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment, Ben. And so you've got a reaction against maybe a negative way, especially, I mean, you know, in that particular study, um, you know, the Barna study actually concludes that the word evangelicalism, or e evangelism, maybe we should say oh, yeah. the word evangelism is looked at uh, in a distinctly negative fashion yeah. by the younger generation. Yeah. So just the word ev evangel evangelism, which I'm apparently having a hard time saying this morning, <laughs> um, you know, which, uh, you know, which is why, I mean, I, I understand that. And actually, we're, why we talk about, when we talk about sharing our faith, 
we actually talk about it as a life investment, which is much, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's interesting. Jesus never actually uses the word evangelism. Yeah. Um, but he does talk about disciple making and mm -hmm. discipleship, although he doesn't use the word discipleship either, but he does talk about go and make disciples. And so that's much mm -hmm. more a life investment instead of just trying to get somebody to make a decision. Exactly. So I think there's sometimes a reaction against the way things were. Mm -hmm. um, and again, without, you know, as we've talked about several times in this series, without being in, getting to a place where we're in this seat and we're looking back, being overly critical about what has happened, at least mm -hmm. what we can mm -hmm. conclude is what was is not enough for what now is. Yeah. That's you good. know, so we need something different going forward. Whether that's that good. worked in the past, maybe it did work in the past, but we need something different going forward because things have changed. And so, so it can be a reaction, a negative reaction. Um, and I think that is part of it. But then also, again, as we said, you know, if we think about what would you imagine what would happen, would happen uh, to young Christians who were taught everywhere they went that everybody can make their own truth and define their own meaning yeah. and nothing matters more than happiness. Well, what if I actually made somebody unhappy by sharing my faith with them? Well, then that's, that's a violation of one of the, the pillars of postmodern thought. Um, what if I share my truth with somebody as if it's the only truth? Mm -hmm. Well, the, I can't do that because they have their truth too. Yeah. What if I tell somebody that they can only find meaning in a relationship with God? Well, then again, I'm pushing back on something that, that I, I've embraced at other levels that I can define my own meaning, value, and purpose in life. And so, um, you know, again, there's, there's this real uh, juxtaposition of two worldviews that yeah. are coming to play and truly there's a clash there, no yeah. doubt about it. In that Barna research you looked into, mm -hmm. uh, came, they came to some other conclusions, other thoughts. You wanna share a little bit about that, about what they? Yeah, so, um, so I, I don't know if this is the same study, a separate study, both done in 2019, um, but in, in a similar study, uh, they actually looked at kind of categorizing um, Christian millennials mm -hmm. or you know, younger Christians who were raised in, in a Christian household anyway, or at mm -hmm. least younger folks who were raised in a Christian household. And they, they actually were able to determine that, you know, there are four categories based upon the way they phrase questions and the answers they received, kind of four questions or four categories of, um, uh, based upon the way that people were now living out, embracing their mm -hmm. faith, the thoughts that they had about their faith. So they categorized okay. these folks in four ways. And so just four to, categories. I think this will help kind of define that conversation a little bit more too. So they had this uh, group of, of folks that were, uh, young millennial Christians, th this, this group, maybe even you might even say almost ex-Christians because they actually called them the prodigals or the ex-Christians is the first okay. group that they defined. Um, and these were people by their words, by, by Barna's words, that do not identify themselves as Christian despite having attended a Protestant or Catholic church as a child or teen or having considered themselves to be Christian at some time. Okay. Okay. So again, somebody we're doing that's deconstructed, yeah, deconverted, deconstructed, to some deconver exactly, yeah. exactly. So okay. again, we're looking at what has happened. <coughs> what kind of effect has the culture around us had upon Christian culture? That's the question that we're answering right now. So that's the first category. Okay. So that's one of the effects. Another is there are others that they call these nomads or even lapsed Christians. I mean, I think you most okay. hear the word, the prodigals and the nomads is what, what Barna talks about. So uh, the nomads or lapsed Christians are those who identify themselves as Christians, but have not attended church during the past month. Okay. Right. So the vast majority of nomads haven't been involved with a faith community for six months mm -hmm. or more. Mm -hmm. So I actually wonder, you know, now in this kind of um, post COVID world, um, not that we're beyond COVID, it's maybe post the advent of COVID is the better way to say that. Um, if this number maybe hasn't gone up, 
yeah. uh, across, you know, if there isn't a larger group that yeah. would find themselves um, who are now uh, nomads, but they've got another group that they call habitual church gro- goers. Okay. Uh, habitual churchgoers describe themselves as Christians and have attended church at least once in the past month. Now, here's, here's a distinction that's important. Yet they do not have foundational core beliefs or behaviors associated with being an intentional engaged disciple. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, okay. these are folks who, yes, they attend church, but, but by their own admission are saying, in a sense, I'm going to read in between the lines here. Um, but it would seem to me by their own admissions are saying the culture of the world around me has more of an effect upon the way I live than the culture of the church, the Christian okay. culture. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a fair way to look at it. Um, and then they've got what they call resilient disciples. Um, and these resilient disciples are Christians who attend church at least monthly. Okay. okay so at least monthly. So that's the first piece. They're, they engage with their church uh, more than just attending worship services, typically, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second piece of that that makes up a resilient disciple is they trust they tr- you know, uh, trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. So they look at Scripture and say, I do believe this is the Word of God. So the other groups definitely have questions about that at times. And then the third piece, they're committed to Jesus and personally affirm that He was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin yep. and death. Uh, and then the fourth piece, they express a desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. Mm. Okay, so the four different groups, again, let's go through those one more time so real quick. Prodigals, prodigals yep. your nomads, mm-hmm. your habitual church growers, yes. your resilient disciples. Resilient disciples. Okay, so four groups. And you might say, okay, if we've got four groups, we would expect that maybe the people, you know, that these different millennial uh, Christians or even ex-Christians uh, would be divided maybe equally in and among mm-hmm. those groups, right? So we got, we'd have 25% who are, you know, who used to consider themselves Christ followers, 25% who are now these nomads, 25% habitual churchgoers, and 25% yeah. who are these resilient disciples. But sure. what we actually find is that only 10% of Christians, and, and they, I think they characterize a study actually, uh, it was done in 2019, it was oh. mostly looking at Christians in their 20s. So only 10% of Christians in their 20s actually have this kind of resilient faith. 10%. Wow. So again, remember, part of that resilient faith is number four, that fourth piece is they express a desire to transform the broader society as an outcome yeah. of their faith. Believe yeah. that their faith ought to uh, move them to live in a certain way that they, they're different, and because they're different, they make a difference. And they yeah. make society different as well. That really, I don't know, just as I hear that, that reflects the reality that we know of how many students walk away from right. their faith in in college and yes. in these different forms? That's that's staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So it's some pretty bleak statistics. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of hard to be hopeful with those kind of numbers mm-hmm. at times. So, but but you think there is hope. So tell us what? Why are you hopeful at these times? Yeah, I, I said that in the message uh, this weekend that I'm I'm actually. <laughs> I mean, I know coming off of statistics like that, it may seem like a real hard right turn yeah. uh, for folks <laughs> even listening to us because you may be at this place where you just heard that and you're saying, okay, well, there's no hope then for uh, the Christian faith and in the next generation. And I actually think that's, that's, that's um, I'll just explain to you why I don't think that's the case. How about that? And so I'm going to share two reasons um, why I believe that this is actually uh, this is actually a place where a time in which things could really change for the better. Okay, why there is reason to hope. Okay. Why, why being hopeful is not unreasonable, 
um, why it's not irrational, why actually this is a moment to, to actually lean into hope. Okay. Um, you know, so the first reason is this, you know, as we, as we talked about last week, um, many of those folks who've been swept up in the postmodern stream, uh, mm-hmm. remember again, that's, you know, my truth, my meaning, mm-hmm. chasing mm-hmm. happiness is kind of, the, that's the, the yep. prime value of life. Uh, they've actually found that the postmodern stream or the postmodern way of thinking mm. is a dead end. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah. And we talked about these unfulfilled promises last week. Again, that, uh, that really uh, the promise of postmodernity, in a sense, is that if we will, um, if we will you know, chase after our own truth, if we will define our own meaning in life, then ultimately we'll truly be personally happy. But what folks have found out is, is as I have tried to define my own or make my own truth, define my own meaning, I've not ended up happy. In fact, when I make happiness the, the pursuit of, you know, the absolute pursuit of my life, uh, ultimately I, I end up miserable. Yeah. You know, it's so true. So many stories that we could share it's about so good. that. I, mean, I just even see that anecdotally in the yes. amount of yep. millennials that are really, I think are really seeking out mm-hmm. meaning and purpose mm-hmm. in their life. And just from That's right. people, I know statistics back that up, but I just see that in conversations that I have with yes. friends, with other people in my generation who are, who are searching, searching that out, who are searching for that. Yeah, yeah, what we're finding with millennials is that, is that they are truly becoming a cause-driven generation. Oh, yeah. So looking to find meaning in yeah. doing good things. Now, again, that's, that, is, that is still uh, somewhat a product of postmodern thinking or at least secular humanism and, and being post-Christian is that we want to do these right things, but now we have to find out the why. And that's, that's yeah. the trouble. So if we only have the what, and Simon Sinek is really good about uh, digging into this, but if we only have the what, at some point in time, that collapses. Mm. So we also have to have the why. Yeah. That's the piece that I think the, you know, the, the younger generation is searching for, is tell me the why behind the what. I know the what matters. I'm just not sure why. Yeah. You know, yeah. just because. But at some point in time, the answer just cause is, is not, not enough anymore, <laughs> right? And so, again, kind of the way that we uh, frame that last week is to say that, um, that really the, the postmodern worldview has made some pretty big promises, and those promises truly just have not come to fruition. They've not mm-hmm, been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So that's really, that's the first reason that I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, we've been engaging, like I said, in this experiment for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, and, and what we're finding out is that this experiment is, is rapidly approaching the point where we have to just abort because it, it's not what, what we hypothesized we're determining we were wrong. We were wrong. Man, just, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. I just think of the, there is so much that I do love about my generation Absolutely. of it being a really, you talk about the, the drive for good works, of being yes. an extremely compar- uh, caring, yes. compassionate generation. And as that generation searches for meaning and they wake up and more yes. of us wake up to the need for, for Jesus and for bringing that into yes. some of these values that some of us already hold, just the powerful impact for Christ that I see coming out of that. It could be amazing. It could be a really amazing thing. Yeah, it could be amazing. That's why a lot of people are using the terms, you know, folks that are looking ahead that have studied the the dynamic shift of societies over time are are looking ahead and saying, we could be in for 
a revival, yeah. an awakening. And I know so many, so many probably are looking at it saying, how in the world could you be looking around saying that we may be on the verge of a, of a Western revival and awakening? Um, again, I, I just think there are reasons for hope. Mm. Again, that it's first beautiful. one, you know, I think um, the fact that the promises that, that post-modernity or the postmodern way of thinking have made, the fact that they have gone unfulfilled is, is a good thing. Yeah. It's a really good thing, yeah. and, and it's a reason for hope. The second thing is this. You use the word waking up, so I'm going to come back and I'm going to use that one. <laughs> I, I don't think it's just society and culture that are waking up saying there has to be a, be a better way. Mm-hmm. I think the church is waking up. Hmm. You know, I think the church is waking up. You know, you look at, at, at every... Every few generations, I mean, you know, if you look at revival, if you look at awakening, it, it really goes in waves a lot more than it does, than, than we often credit. You know, we just think we've been on this downslope for years, but the reality is um, there have been several revivals, awakenings within the past century, even before that, in the previous century before that there were, the century before that there were. I mean, there, there are times when things get bad, but then out of things being bad, things get yeah. good again, typically. And I think, I think we're on the verge of that. So. Um, Here's the thing about awakening uh, and revival, renewal, the conversation that, that we're engaging in. We're, we're not the only ones engaging this conversation. In fact, mm-hmm. we're far from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in so many different um, conversations that I have had with different church leaders, both nationally and even some internationally, um, I keep hearing these consistent themes among the people that are looking for it. I'm going to say that much right now. I'm not going to say you're going to go, you're going to find this everywhere. You're not going to find it everywhere, but there are a lot of places where you'll find people thinking this way. So I'll say this. I, I know that there are, there are still many uh, who truly have their heads buried in the sands of cultural Christianity. I, I know it's true, mm-hmm. but there are many who don't as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so here uh, for this last month, and we've been as a staff praying this longer uh, as well, but, uh, but here we challenged our folks here at Grace Chapel for the last month to pray regularly, Luke 10, 2 and Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Uh, and just really quick, a recap of those, Luke 10, 2, we're asking that the Lord of the harvest, God, who is the Lord of the harvest and does what he can only do with the harvest, that he would raise up workers and send workers out to go into the fields and harvest what he's been growing, right? So we're asking him, so there's a lot of reliance upon him in that process. Then we're also asking God, the one who can open doors, the one who opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no, no mm-hmm. one can open. Mm-hmm. We're asking God, the opener of doors, to go open doors for us in Colossians 4 so that we might clearly communicate the mystery of Christ and that he's going to be the one who helps us clearly communicate the mystery of Christ. You know, so we're asking for that. We're asking God to be at work. We're asking for him to revive us, to wake us up, to show us the opportunities. Um, then just on the backside of those short few verses in Colossians uh, 4, 2 through 4, comes Colossians 5, which again, we shared with our folks this weekend here, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, basically tells the Colossians that they need to be wise in the way they act toward outsiders. Um, and, and I know that's, that's tough. Sometimes that's tough language for, uh, for us to swallow that there are insiders and outsiders, and we've pushed back on that, but it is the reality. There are insiders and outsiders as it relates to uh, mm-hmm. having a relationship with Jesus. And so Paul tells the Colossian church to be wise in the way they act toward outsiders, outsiders and then to make the most of every opportunity mm-hmm. as they engage people. And so I think the awakening and reviving, re- reviving church or the church that's being revived will be constantly asking these questions. What does it look like to be wise in the way we engage and act toward outsiders? And what does it look like to make the most 
of every opportunity. And so I believe that the church is the church is being uh, revived, is the church is waking up to the reality around us that, again, we don't live in a Christian culture anymore. We, you know, I, I'd say at best we could say probably the best is that we, we once lived in a Christianized culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that we ever truly had a Christian culture, but now we certainly know we live in a post-Christian culture. And so what will the church that understands the times do? Pray prayers like Luke 10 to often. That's good. Pray the prayers of Colossians 4 often. Be ready to live and show the better story of God so that people can see lived out what it looks like when these worldviews collide, not just when they're talked about, but when they're actually lived out. Yeah, that's really good. So there is hope. <laughs> I, I think there's hope. There is hope Reason going for hope. forward. And that is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So you, yesterday, you or yesterday, no, on Sunday, when you shared yeah. the message, you finished with this question, and you said, what do we do? when the illusion behind the story that many are believing begins to crumble. Yeah, yeah, and so, so what I mean in that question is, again, as, as the promises of, of the postmodern worldview um, go largely unfulfilled, and the people who've embraced the postmodern worldview realize that what they've embraced is an illusion, uh, some have even called it now the postmodern mythology. Mm-hmm. So as they've embraced this myth, in a sense, um, how, how do we respond yeah. when we see that illusion that, again, they, these yeah. folks have embraced? What do we, how do we respond when we see the illusion beginning to crumble? Again, that's one of the reasons I think there's a lot of hope, is the illusion's beginning to crumble. You know, so I think the answer to that question, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a simple answer, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but simple and easy are different things. Um, I, here it is, just as simply as I can say, you share a better story. I mean, yeah. we absolutely share a better story. We think like Jesus did. We see other the way, others the way that Jesus saw them. And, and just, you know, to illustrate that, um, we, we walked through Matthew 9, 35 through 38 this weekend. I just, and again, it's, it's wild to me how God brings things together. Even sometimes, you know, I can be planning a series and I've got these pieces that I see working together and the way I see them fitting together. And then God brings something in on the backside that just, uh, that brings it all together in a way that I never could have, um, you know, for certain. So here, here's what I shared from Matthew 9, 35 through 38 yesterday. So this, these are the words Matthew writes. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So how did Jesus see people who embraced a worldview that was not the worldview that he was trying, uh, mm-hmm. that he was trying to bring them, or in a sense, when they, they had bought into a story that was not his story. Yeah. How did Jesus see them? Well, when he saw the crowd, <laughs> that's right, that's right. So yeah. he had compassion on them. He looked at them and he saw they looked harassed and helpless. Mm. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then check this out. What does Jesus say to his disciples? So I made the point that, that Jesus was like any good preacher. He had a, a few things that, I mean, a number of things that really mattered and probably repeated those things fairly frequently, mm-hmm. right? So in Luke 10, 2, we have Jesus saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. What does Jesus say in Matthew 9, 38? After looking at these people seeing sheep without a shepherd, he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers 
into his harvest field. So that is his reaction. That is his response is, listen, you need to see people with compassion. Mm -hmm. So you need to see people with compassion the way that I see them. And you need to go out into the harvest fields to share a better story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, um, again, I, I'm going to say this one more time. I think that secular, you know, uh, secular humanism, uh, post-modernity, post-Christianity, these are all, in a sense, real-world experiments. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we had these different thoughts about what life is really all about. Um, but we're at this place where the data is rolling in. Mm-hmm. As we said last week, you know, this way of thinking has led to um, you know, kind of radical individualism. Radical individualism, individualism has led to deep relational deficits. Deep relational deficits have led to, lo- to a loneliness epidemic. It's led to an existential meaning crisis, a radically divided society. We can't make, yeah, we're just at this point where we cannot say a whole lot of positive things about the story yeah. or, or at least the conclusion yeah. of what many of us have believed, you know, the conclusion of that story. Yeah. So, you know, right. I, I think, so in the first, uh, the first message, and I think I even mentioned it in the first episode of the podcast, um, I said this, I said, you know, you can have the wrong story. We need to be clear, there, there is a right story, which means that there are wrong stories as well. So you can have the wrong story, and if you have the wrong story, the wrong story will have you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, again, what's, what's encouraging is that many are looking around um, and they're saying, they're looking at their life and they're saying, we've been had. Mm-hmm. We've been had. We, we've had the wrong story. Yeah. So, into it. Yeah. you know, even in that, you know, talked about the, the need that, uh, you know, again, Jesus looked at folks who were, he looked at this crowd who had the wrong story. He looked at them, had compassion upon them. He saw them as people who were harassed and helpless. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And the way that we've talked about that in this series is to say, you know, those folks were lost. Mm-hmm. They were lost. They couldn't find their way. They couldn't find their way on their own. That's why the sheep needed a shepherd. They didn't know where to go without the shepherd. Um, you know, and so one, one thing that I've said is in, this, in this series that, is that we need to redeem the word lost so that it's not something that moves us to judgment as, as a Christian people, because it often has. Mm-hmm. We've looked at people, we said, you know, those, those people out there are lost. And because they're lost, that means they are the subject of eternal judgment. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna go ahead and yeah. keep judgment upon them now. Yeah. Um, but that's not what Jesus did. And so, you know, instead of when we think of people who are lost, that moving us to judgment, that instead needs to move us to compassion. It's really good. It's really good. And you know, using the word lost there, just gonna mm-hmm. cut in comment on that for a yeah. minute. And. I think that's interesting. That's a word that's been redeemed for me recently mm. because I think, I think I used to have a harder time with that word. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it felt a little, uh, felt a little mean Judgy. to say someone's <laughs> lost. Yeah. Yeah. Judgmental yeah. to someone. And there, there's a reality there that we need to accept and to get like, get over that fact and that is some of the some of the cultural narrative that has influenced me that I need to get past but then there's also a level that that word actually gives a lot of dignity to people mm-hmm. to say that you're lost I was listening to a message from the guy we've referenced several times John Mark Comer I think during this series and uh, you, you kind of like that guy don't you I'm a big fan <laughs> I'm a big fan yeah yeah and uh, man we could we could even link to this message it's really good but yeah. um, 
it was a message on sharing the gospel, and he was talking about some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And he talked about this idea of lostness in a way that really helped framing this for me to realize that being lost mm-hmm. is a normal experience. Like, we've all been lost. I've been lost. I've got, went the wrong way and went down a wrong road and gotten lost. And to say that I'm lost isn't a judgment on me to say that I'm a bad person, that I'm right. unredeemable, that I'm this, that, and the other. It's just to say that you went the wrong way and you need some help to get back uh, on the yes. right path. And that's fine. Yes. And that's a normal part of our yes. life experience. Agreed. So when I say Agreed. that this friend of mine who doesn't follow Jesus, and I have someone in my mind right mm-hmm. now, and when I say that he's lost, I'm not writing him off. I'm actually saying that, no, there is a real direction yes. in life and that he just needs to get back on the right trail. He needs to get onto that right yes. path. That there the right is path. a right direction. There is a right yeah. way to go. And I, th- that word just really been redeemed in my mind. And oh, I, yeah, it's great, ben. I love it. I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it connects again with this idea that, I mean, you can have the wrong story. And if you have the wrong story, the wrong story will have you. We've been had. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that speaks to the reality that we've been deceived. Well, I mean, we got an enemy who, I mean, that's his deal. Yeah. Right? He is the deceiver. Uh, big fan of lies. Any, that's is. right. Anytime <laughs> he speaks, lies are his native tongue. And so, you know, I- instead of looking at people who we would categorize as lost and, and being at this place of judgment, yeah. if we can be at this You're place lost, of, I'm found, that's right. so that's you know, exactly I'm going to point right. my finger at you. That's exactly not, right. That's not Jesus' attitude. Not, not Jesus' compassion attitude on him. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so, you know, I think it does need to, I mean, we do need to recognize that that we do have a better story. We do have a better story Mm -hmm. than what the world around us is telling. And, and, you know, that story that really is truly, I think, enemy inspired, the enemy inspired story as opposed to the God authored story, which is the best story that we get to share. And I think if I could flip upside down what we, what we learned um, you know, just a bit ago, kind of the attitude that exists in, in our day and age. Some of in our day and age believe, you know, the things they believe about sharing their faith with others anyway. Uh, here's what I'd like to say. So if, if you and I know if we have a better story and we choose not to share it with others, who, by the way, are, are drowning for a lack of meaning, value, and purpose in life, who are, who are lost in this world. And yes, I mean, definitely lost in the next life without Jesus, mm-hmm. certainly. Wouldn't that be wrong? I mean, wouldn't that be what would be unethical? As opposed to thinking that if I share my faith with somebody else, that's unethical. No, if we truly believe we've got a better story, boy, I really think that not sharing that, man, I just can't imagine in my life not wanting to take that next step to help people who are lost find not just their way, again, mm-hmm. significant mm-hmm. that Jesus calls himself the way. Mm-hmm. So I, I want them to find that. So, you know, Ben, you and I, we, we talk offline quite a bit, obviously. Yep. Um, and as we were discussing offline, you were actually sharing a little bit about this. And so I'd, I'd love to wrap up this episode this way by maybe you sharing just a little bit uh, of your experience, because I know, as we've talked before, you said you identify with, uh, you know, or can at least understand why millennials would feel at times that maybe sharing faith would be wrong or unethical but you've actually really made a transition to where you've actually found that sharing the better story um, with people who are lost and looking for the way is actually super exciting. I mean, yeah. I think you actually called it an adventure. So I, I yeah. wonder if you could maybe share a little bit with those folks who are listening. Um, and, and I think that will be truly you know, inspiring. Yeah, 
Yeah, that would be. Yeah, for sure. So it has been a journey for me, right? That mm -hmm. um, not since I was younger. Mm -hmm. I th uh, when I was younger, it was probably I had, didn't have any problem with sharing faith. I guess like as a concept, mm -hmm. but I think as I got a little older and as I started to maybe have a little bit more influence, but uh, from from culture, but then also I think really seeing and identifying problems of the way it's mm -hmm. been wrong and having mm -hmm. doubts on how do you actually do that in a healthy way that you're not, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of stuff we could go down a side trail on, but it has been a change. I have had a change over this past time of really waking up to the the beauty of following Jesus in my own life and of the need to share that with other people and really embracing Jesus' way mm -hmm. of doing that as a part of my mm -hmm. apprenticeship to him, as a part of my discipleship to him of embracing his way. Yeah. There have been some bad models in the yeah. church, sure. but that's not to throw the baby out of the bathwater is not the move, it's to go yeah. back to the way that Jesus so, did this. So to be clear about those bad models, I mean, there, there are people that have actually talked about it this way, and I think this is what we're saying, that that the models in which we almost forced or coerced yes. faith onto people, That's it. Um, that that, That's that it. wasn't That's the way helpful. that Jesus did yes. it. And, and, and I think intention was good, outcome was bad, right? And so, I would add yeah. a, a cheap grace yes. mentality yes. of making it just about conversion. Yes. Um, about just, Salvation, not transformation. Yeah, decision right? and not discipleship. This, yep, yes. exactly. And depending on your church tradition, we've had different mm -hmm. versions of that. Church of Christ, maybe it's baptism in a more evangelical model. Let's say the magic prayer. In mm -hmm. Catholicism, it might be take the Eucharist. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's different versions of it, but it's just this version of just make this decision. You're good. You're done. Right. And being problematic, whereas no, following Jesus, it's this bigger model of life yes. transformation. Yes. So embracing that, I think there's been a not the, an understanding of mm -hmm. that that's changed in me. But now it's starting to motivate and change my actions and the way I live. And I think here at Grace Chapel, we've had this time of prayer and fasting over this mm -hmm. past month. And the thing that's been really impactful for me in this has been more than the fast, it's been this time of prayer. And we've been saying this prayer of this, the Luke 10.02 yeah. and the Colossians 2. Uh, four, four, two, three, four, yep. Two, four through, what? Four, two, three, four. four yeah. Two, two, three, four, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I've been saying those prayers each day and asking God to present us with opportunities yeah. to share our faith, with opportunities to be able to disciple people. Yeah. And it has been really profound to me, and I kind of it hit me yesterday as we were breaking our fast mm -hmm. together, of the opportunities that mm -hmm. God has opened up into my life. And one mm -hmm. of them is one that I really pursued and had to seek out. But then there's another two that have really just kind of fallen in my lap in a way that I can't really explain how it happened. Like total coincidental situations yeah. where I've now had a chance to share my faith, open up a discipleship conversation with these people. Uh, well, one hasn't really started yet, but it's a uh, beginning a process mm -hmm in a way that I did nothing to bring that opportunity. Like there was no work put out on my half to make that happen and these just came and showed up and it was then about being faithful in that yeah. moment to answer that call. And I'm just seeing in that, 
the adventure, I use that word, yes. of following Jesus. Yep. And what that opens you yep. up to when it's not just about me. It's not just about, you know, am I reading my, am I reading scripture? Am I spending my devotional time with God? Which is really good. Do that. Like, that's yes. amazing. But then it's also, it's bigger. It's about how am I reaching yeah. out? How am I joining Jesus's mission? And so it's really waking me up being a disciple, about making disciples as yes. well. Where there's, there's an yes. adventure on that. You know, and I, you know, Ben, even the way you talk about that, Here's what I would say that is that is different and why what we're talking about is healthy and why maybe the way it's been done in the past was not unhealthy. So if I force or coerce my belief onto someone else in a sense and try to make them feel guilty, and I, all that I'm putting the impetus for what's gonna happen on me. Yeah. But what we're talking about and what you've done this past month is you asked God to come and do what only he could do, which is transform or begin to transform a heart. And so we're relying on him. Mm -hmm. You know, so instead of saying, well, let's go do the evangelism thing and let's go charge this hill. And then we start to say, well, if I've got to make this happen, well, how am I going to make this happen? Well, maybe I better be the evangelistic strong man. Um, as opposed to knowing that God is the only one who can do the kind of things we've been asking him yeah. to do anyway. And that's where the health comes from, you know, and that's where yeah. the excitement comes from too. Yeah. When you see God, I mean, what you said, you know, for God to open doors that we weren't even looking to see opened. And all of a sudden, here's this open door. And yeah. we've been praying for a month, God opened doors, and now God opens doors. It's, yeah. it's a pretty amazing thing. So let me ask you this, Ben, um, you know, what, what would you challenge others who have maybe walked the same journey? So I get to ask you the one thing question. You know, what is one thing you leave uh, our listeners with this week to say, hey, here is something you could do maybe to take a next step yeah. or maybe to change the way you think about sharing a better story? Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that is, that is the, the one challenge is what you said and to share a better story, to live that out. And there's kind of two ways I would flesh that out. Okay. If you're in a spot that you would say that in your life right now that you you don't know who to share that with. Like you don't have people who are in your life. Like maybe you are like me. A lot of your mm -hmm. circles have been Christian people. It's like, who, who, am I, who am I sharing this with? I would encourage you to start by praying those prayers. Yeah, <laughs> Pray, Absolutely. spend some time and ask God to bring those opportunities to you. And I believe from experience that he mm -hmm. is gonna do that. Mm -hmm. And just to say that again, that is Colossians 4, mm -hmm. 2 through 4. Mm -hmm. That's the one that just, man, is so powerful. And then the Luke 10, 2 as mm -hmm. well. Try that out. Say those prayers in your life and just, just see. Maybe just challenge God. Mm -hmm. See if he'll bring some uh, opportunities to you. And I think he might. Mm -hmm. That'd be one thing. That's good. The second one I would say is that if you have someone in your life who you know I could reach out to, is be faithful to that opportunity. Be faithful mm -hmm. to the call to share the story because there is a level of needing to step out. And yeah, it can be a little scary. It can pull you out of your comfort zone. But I think when you get out of your comfort zone, you enter the journey, the exciting journey of being on Jesus' mission. Is it's no, not just about good. you. It's not just about sitting in a church pew or a church chair, uh, is that no, it opens you up into a really exciting journey of following Jesus. Yeah, I think that's great because I think even both of those been so so fully connect with uh, the Colossians 4 prayer. So we're yeah. asking God, God, would you please uh, open doors 
bring about opportunities, right? So we're asking for the opportunity, but then even the Apostle Paul in there also prays for the ability. Yeah. And so that's the second piece, right? So ask God for the opportunity and then just trust and be faithful in your response. Yep. that God's also going to give you the ability. Yep. I think those are two, two great things to take away. So so we're wrapping up this series right now. So also also the first four pod, uh, episodes of the podcast. So again, it's been mentioned at the beginning, um, we are a new podcast. So it's mm-hmm. super helpful uh, if you would maybe take the time, if you're enjoying this, especially if it's helpful to you to leave us a review, maybe even share with others what you've heard here. Um, next week, we're going to have some fun. We're moving on to a, <clears throat> to a new series here at Grace Chapel. Uh, but the really fun part of that is that for the entirety of the next month, uh, we're going to invite another one of Grace Chapel staff who's actually going to be leading us yep. through that series. Uh, that's our discipleship minister, Rob Shaver. We're going to be inviting him to join us uh, for a deeper conversation about being disciples mm-hmm. who make disciples. So mm-hmm. it's going to come uh, you know, right on the heels of this series, um, and, and I think will be a really helpful conversation. So, um, yeah, I think so. So we hope that you will join us for those uh, discussions, and uh, thankful that you joined us today. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless until then.